This is an Our Savior Evangelical Free Church podcast. To learn more, visit osefc.org. It's good to be here. Um, As a Californian, this is probably the coldest, I mean, it is the coldest weather I've ever been in. I made it. We were talking to some family yesterday, and they were gloating that it was uh, 70 degrees in California. So we've got, I think, three more weeks till we're hoping to take a trip out, escape for a bit, get refreshed. Um, But we're going to be in 1 Peter this morning, 1 Peter chapter 1. If you want to grab a Bible, open it up. Um, We're going to be talking about the idea of exile. Uh, Peter addresses his letter to those who are the elect exiles or sojourners. Uh, The word can mean foreigner, but it's got this idea of of, uh, being temporarily in a place, being um, in a place that's not your your home. And, And so kind of feel like that this morning in a place that's negative nine when I wake up. Even the dog didn't want to go outside. But, um, you know, it's, we've all had maybe experiences where we are in a place that is not either culturally familiar to us or maybe just a different social setting where we, we get this, this feeling that we just don't quite belong. Um, it's, it's something that we've probably not experienced to the level of uh, Peter's audience here, uh, but we've all experienced in, in some sense. If you haven't experienced it, maybe just uh, walk into a grocery store without a mask on and you'll get the idea of what it feels like to be in exile. Uh, don't actually do that, but um, there's, there's that, that specific idea within being in exile that... Um, makes us feel out of place. And, and Peter's addressing uh, a group of Christians. And these Christians, uh, we believe, looking at Peter's writing style, that these are Gentiles, that these are, are not Jews, they're Gentiles who have come to faith. They have a, a pagan background. And they're dealing with this feeling of being separated from their communities, uh, from their families, their friends. Um, and that is a difficult idea for a Gentile, especially because they, they don't have the, the same community aspect that the Jews had and, and an understanding of what it means to be God's people. So what Peter does in this letter is he's trying to give confidence to these, these believers that they are, in fact, 100% fully integrated into the people of God. And, and he's giving them that confidence by helping them to understand the, the, the truth of who they are, who their, what their identity is in Christ. And not only just by explaining that uh, with just simple like theological terms, but he also creates this image of how they are, in fact, just like the people of God in the Old Testament, within the Old Covenant, but yet it's a new covenant. And so we see a lot of that language in this letter. So let's read the first nine verses, 1 Peter chapter 1. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, 
to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the testing, tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the encouragement, the hope that we have, and the, the surety of knowing who we are in you and where we're headed. And Lord, I pray that you would encourage us this morning um, in our, our feelings of, of those moments of feeling out of place in this world and, and knowing that we have an eternal home, uh, that you would encourage us and, and build us up uh, through your word. And we lift it up in Jesus' name. Amen. So Peter is writing this, this letter uh, to the Gentiles from what it seems. We, we look in this book, um, this letter, and, and there's a number of, of statements that he makes that helps us think that this, this had to be written to those with a pagan background. Um, in 114, he, he speaks about not being conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. In 18, he says, you were ransomed from your futile ways, which were inherited from your forefathers, which just isn't quite exactly how usually you're talking about Jewish uh, believers. Um, in 2.10, he says, once you are not a people, but now you're God's people. And then in chapter 4, he speaks about not returning this, to these sinful uh, pagan-oriented practices. And so it's kind of odd because, you know, here's Peter. He, he is sort of viewed as the apostle to the Jews. Um, Paul makes that statement in Galatians chapter 2. And even though it probably wasn't like a, a hard line between their ministries that Peter was uh, an apostle to the Jews, Paul was uh, going to the Gentiles, um, and yet here we have a, a letter written by Peter to Gentiles, but full of Old Testament Jewish imagery. So it's kind of an interesting letter from that sense. And, and the, the opening imagery that Peter gives us is this idea of elect exiles. Uh, the, both of those words have sort of very different meanings. Elect meaning chosen, exile meaning sort of the opposite, like wandering or, or not, not among uh, your homeland. And so he gives this image 
with a positive and a negative idea here. Um, and it points us back to God's people in the old covenant, because we look at all the way back to Abraham and we see that Abraham was a man who was called chosen by God, but also a, a wanderer, a sojourner. And, and Abraham was waiting for God to fulfill the promise. And in the same way, God's covenant people, Israel, they were chosen. They had God's blessing and this role of being those who would uh, protect and embody the, the covenant. And yet we often find them in a wandering, waiting, sojourning situation, uh, being called out of Egypt as they're moving towards the promised land. Um, they're, they're walking through the wilderness, this time of sojourning. And so Peter begins with this picture of the Gentiles sort of placing them into Israel's storyline, because I think that his goal in this book, kind of the, the main theme here is to say, even though you're not physically of God's chosen people, you have become part, fully part of this, this blessed uh, chosen group the spiritual people of God, the ultimate, ultimately the people of God. And so he's trying to give them confidence uh, in their identity. And in scripture, we have two types of exiles. One is what I've just described, an exile where there is, there is a wandering, there's sort of a, a displacement, but there is a promised future. There is a hope. There is a homeland to come. And then a second type of exile we see happens when the people of God fall into sin and they break the covenant. And, and there's this, this sort of um, like a punishment of God that comes upon them. The, the Babylonian exile, the Assyrian captivity, where God's people were taken out of their homeland because of their sin and because uh, of their breaking of the covenant. I think in this case, we're, we're not dealing with that kind of exile. We're dealing with an exile of God's chosen people who are waiting, who are in a period of, of in-betweenness, in a sense. And so when we look at the, the audience for this book, I think that we, we can make some connections between um, these chosen exiles of the diaspora and, and our own situation as the people of God spiritually in a time of waiting for the kingdom to come. And, and so that's really the main theme that, that I want to address this morning is, is what does it mean for us as believers to be in this in-between period, this, this recognizing there's a temporalness to our existence as God's people, and yet a secure and final future where we have the hope of, of our inheritance, of eternal life, of, of being with, with Christ. And so that's, that's how I want to make the connection between us. Um, whenever we, we try to, to apply the scripture, we, we want to say, how is our situation similar and how is it different to the, the audience of this letter? And do we really recognize our unique status as God's chosen people? Um, when we experience exile in our situation, 
it's probably more of a, of a social disconnect, sort of a, a wandering in the sense that we don't quite fit into uh, the world's way of thinking or, or the agendas that are being um, pushed on us at, at work, at school, um, among unbelieving friends. And, and we feel that sort of like we just, we don't fit. We, we try to maintain, you know, relationships where we want to minister within the world, um, but there's always that tension. And so as we experience that as Christians, um, Peter, I think, reminds us that we can rejoice in the very fact that we experience exile or, or wandering to some extent, that we don't fit in. There should be a rejoicing in that because that then places us into the people of God. That is what the people of God have always experienced. So we should have hope. We should be able to rejoice even within the state or the situations where we have that that exilic experience. Um, Peter says in the beginning, in the beginning of the letter, he's an apostle. So there's an authority that this letter goes out. Um, He's speaking to elect exiles of the dispersion. And then he gives a list of places. This is kind of the northern part of Asia Minor. Um, We don't really know why he picked that part. There would have been a Christian uh, Gentiles kind of all over the area, but maybe that specific area was he was he was keying into because of the distance that it was from Jerusalem. There's sort of a there's sort of way up there, way out there. Uh, we don't see Paul's ministry going through a lot of these places, so so maybe that's why Peter's encouraging them. Um, but then he he modifies the whole uh, picture there by saying. Of their elect exiles according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit and for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. So here we, we start to get into some of that imagery. Uh, according to the foreknowledge of God, foreknowledge always has more than just the idea of God knowing something ahead of time. It always connects to his plan and his purpose. And, and so I think Peter's reminding them this is not sort of an accident in the sense that, hey, now the Jews have rejected Christ, so what's plan B? You know, I guess we'll let the Gentiles in. You know, it's, it's, not, it's not something that God didn't know and plan ahead of time. Because uh, even in the Old Testament, we see those, those uh, prophecies that speak of the Gentiles coming to faith, seeing a great light. And, and so God knew that this was going to be the plan. It says, by the sanctification of the Spirit. They're set apart by the Spirit. That's the same idea of, of Israel also was set apart from the world uh, as the covenant people. And then he says, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. And this sort of draws up some, some really strong imagery, sprinkling with the blood. And, and when, when Peter uses language like this, we have to start thinking, what does that mean? What is that Old Testament picture? And there's a, maybe a couple things it could be. Uh, in the sacrifices, the blood was often sprinkled on the altar. Um, Aaron the priest in his consecration was sprinkled with blood. But 
I think Exodus 24 gives us an even better picture. This is where, where Moses is ratifying the covenant with God's people as they come out of Egypt into the wilderness, into sort of that state of wandering. And it says in Exodus 24, verse 7, that Moses took the book of the covenant, he read it in the hearing of the people, and they said, all that the Lord has spoken we will do, and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. So what Moses is doing is he's giving them the covenant. They, they talk about obeying the covenant, just like Peter said, obedience to Jesus Christ. And then he sprinkled them with the blood. And, and Peter is, seems to be saying to these Gentile believers that the same acceptance, the same reality that, that God's people had in the Old Testament, you've received 100% fully the people of God. And so that's just a, a beautiful picture for a Gentile who's kind of wondering, especially with all of the turmoil between the, the Jewish believers and the Gentile believers in the early church, understanding how Gentiles can partake in the covenant. And so Peter gives them this, this sweet confidence by painting that picture and then placing them into it. And then in verse 3, he, he picks up with a blessing of God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope. So we see Peter using this similar language that John uses, this idea of born again, having a, a new birth. And in John chapter 3, Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus, a Jew, um, and here Peter is speaking to Gentiles. And, and yet in both places, we see sort of the same idea forming and taking shape. This idea that for the Jews, physical birth was, was not enough. Physical birth didn't mean anything in regards to the kingdom, seeing the kingdom of heaven. They had to be reborn spiritually. And that same new birth is offered to the Gentiles who physically have no chosen lineage, no, no um, family ties to God's people, but are now spiritually born into the people of God. And so Jews and Gentiles alike are being reborn spiritually into the people of God. And we see this, this convergence that wasn't available before Christ broke down that wall of separation, as Paul says in Ephesians. So there's this continuing, he's continuing to sort of pile on um, this idea of, of you are legitimate. Your identity in, in Christ brings you into the people. And he says that you've been born again to a living hope. And I don't know why, I just like that phrase, just um, just to meditate on that phrase, a living hope, because Jesus Christ has been raised. Our hope is alive. Our hope is seated at the right hand of the Father. And, and it's, it's sure, it's, it's 100%. He says, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. 
I mean, I think he's trying to make a point there. Imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Uh, it, it can't be destroyed. It can't be tarnished. It's not going anywhere. It's kept in heaven by the power of God, by God's power. We're also being guarded. By God's power, uh, we're being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So everything within that, that statement is, speaks to surety, speaks to confidence, so that we can know that, that by our trusting in Christ, no matter who we are, um, what our genes are, what our family past is, who we are socially, economically, it doesn't matter. We're born into the people of God when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. And he moves then from that, that surety, that promise, saying, in this you rejoice, in, in all of that truth I've just given you, you rejoice, even though for now, now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So you rejoice in this truth, but even if you're grieved for a little while, I think it's funny the way Paul uses that same language. I mean, we're talking about like lifetime of suffering, right? I mean, this is <laughs> a little while. And Paul, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. That's how, that's how these guys understood um, this, the, the momentary affliction, the living on this earth, experiencing trials, experiencing temptation, being tested by fire as a, as a, a small little time compared to the eternal weight of glory. What, what God has promised for us when, when we finally get home, in a sense. And, and so various trials opens it up to sort of, you know, it could be anything related to this idea of while you're in exile, while you're, you're sort of in that wandering, sojourning state. And, and I was thinking, what are, what are the trials that we would deal with in exile, in, in this separation we have from the world. And I think one of the biggest, one of the most difficult ones is there is always the pressure to conform to the surrounding culture. The, the, there's always that draw from the culture to say, you have to fit in, you have to be like us, don't be an outcast. And, and for us, it's always wondering, well, we want to be a part of the, the culture in a sense that we want to be able to minister to those in the world, but not be of the world. And so we have this constant tension and, and trying to balance those two things. What does it mean for us to do that? And, and I think that that's, that's a difficult question to answer. And it, and it comes down to different situations and, and how the Lord is leading. And, and yet we have to be um, careful that we don't allow the world to conform us in a way where 
someone can't look at us and know that, you know, we ain't from around here. <laughs> this, this isn't where we belong. This is not our final destination. And so we want to always stick out a little bit. That's okay. That's a good thing. And we want to keep our eyes on the prize of the inheritance that, that Christ has promised us. And so he moves from this. He, he gives them the security, uh, the surety of their hope. And he brings them through to the reason for rejoicing, knowing that even in the testing of their faith, it's a good thing. And, and this idea of purification that he speaks of being tested by fire is the idea of, of gold being melted down, uh, being heated up, the impurities being burned out. And, and for Peter, this kind of thing throughout the letter is, is spoken of as something that's, that's not optional. It's necessary for us to know what we're made of. For us to know that we are genuinely following Christ, there, there has to be that testing. It comes in different levels and various ways, but we should, in a sense, look forward to how our faith will arise from, from the ashes of those experiences, what, that, that it'll be purified. And in the case of these believers, it was probably um, a much more physically violent testing. There was lots of persecution. Um, for us, it is probably more internal as to how we react, how we respond to um, the temptation to conform to the world. And yet it is the same kind of testing. And he goes on in verse 8, saying, though you have not seen him, though you have not seen Christ, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Though you have not seen him, because Peter had seen Jesus, you know, he, and, and like John talks about in 1 John, you know, we, we, we touched him, we handled him, we, we heard him, we embraced him. We, we're, ex we're telling you uh, the experience that we've had with the, the Lord of the universe in the flesh. And yet Peter is saying, even though you haven't seen him, you love him. You, you believe, you rejoice. And it reminds me of, of John chapter 20, what Jesus says to, to Thomas. After Thomas has to place his, his hands on the, the scars, the wound, Jesus's um, side and and he said Jesus says to him have you believed because you have seen me blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed I I mean Peter was was there he was hearing those those words and so uh, he he recognizes that there is even a greater blessing that there's there's a purity of faith that's that's there in these Gentiles even though they haven't seen him they love him and they believe and it says, and you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. That idea, rejoicing with a joy that's inexpressible. Words can't um, describe the situation. I mean, it makes me think of, of times when 
Um, when my girls hit their like peak level of joy, you know, maybe it's, it's on a, at a birthday or receiving a gift or being told that we're going to do something and, and all they can do is let out that, that high pitched shriek that little girls do joy inexpressible. That's the only excitement. And so I feel like that's, that's what we should um, be doing, you know, internally at least, is sort of, you know, that shrieking with joy, that, that squeal of joy, um, like Christmas morning, that kind of thing, when we think about the, the glory that is, that is saved up for us, stored up in heaven. Um, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This outcome of your faith, I think faith can feel, especially in, in our culture, like we're just so bad at waiting. We're so bad at it. It's so hard for us. We don't want to wait for anything. I mean, we just want it now. And, and yet the Christian life is a game of waiting, wandering. That is, that is the idea is that this is not our home. And, and so as we're in that waiting period, our faith is, is keeping us connected to God's power and, and to the hope that we have. And, and the Lord strengthens our faith. And, and yet it's difficult sometimes to just continue to maintain and we can get discouraged because we just aren't used to having to wait for so long for, for something. And, and yet, Peter says, be encouraged. It will be worth it. It will absolutely be worth it to, to know when, that, when the outcome of your faith, when, when everything, when we stand before Christ, when we see him in, coming in his glory, if we can just imagine that day, if we can just think about it, a little, a little more frequently and just, and just let that sort of soak in the outcome of our faith. Like when your faith is, is finally like paid out in a sense, what an incredible uh, fruit it's going to bring, the salvation of your souls. So all of this should give us a renewed hope, even though we're, we're not part of this world, even though we know these things are passing away, yet here we are, we're, we're, we're being watched as foreigners in the land where we're being looked at by the world. They're wondering what's wrong with us, why we don't do those things. Peter will say later in the letter that, that the Gentiles will, will, will wonder, why don't you do these things with us anymore? What's wrong with you? And, and so they, they don't get it. They don't understand. And yet if we live as exiles who are, in a sense, always sort of longing for the world, then we don't have a witness for what we should be longing for. But if we live as, as the people of God who knows this, this surety of hope that's coming and we have a joy that displays that, then the world is going to look at us and they're going to they're gonna wonder and and like Peter talks about later, having, having an answer for the hope that is in you, right? When you're, when you're asked to give a reason, well, that reason should already be, I mean, no one's even going to ask you if you're not, if you're not looking like you, you have hope. You're not even going to get asked about it. 
And, and so we've got to get to that step first. But if our hope is so vibrant and our joy is, is vibrant, then we're going to be asked, we're going to have a reason. We're going to be able to explain what is this out of this world type of hope that we have. So this idea of waiting and wandering, it's a good thing. As Christians, we're going to experience exile and sojourning at many different levels. And in all of those levels, we can rejoice because we know that our identity is, is rooted, it's grounded in Christ and the promises that he has for us. And we know that someday our longing for a homeland, for a place we can genuinely call home for eternity, is going to be satisfied. We know that our hope is going to become a reality, that that salvation is coming, because Jesus is alive. He's there. We, we know his power so how do we guard from being discouraged? Well, Peter says, you're constantly looking forward. You're constantly looking towards. And, and you, you think about Israel's downfall was the looking backwards towards Egypt. Lot's wife, looking backwards. The, the, the idea of looking backwards is constantly something that drags believers down, that, that slows down the people of God. We should be constantly looking forward. And we should also be aware of the fact that being in exile is not an individual thing. It's a corporate thing. We are the people of God. So together we are wandering. Together we are separated from the world. And that is another theme that Peter uses throughout this letter is saying, be unified, uh, be hospitable, come together. You need each other individually in, in our local churches, and then in a broader sense, the whole church. And, and so we want the unifying factor between us to be this hope, this glory. And yet it's kind of ironic that often, even within the church, the unifying factor between believers is kind of like trivial worldly things. Like we still group ourselves together around like our worldly interests. And I, I mean, I think that's just kind of part of how we, we end up operating within our culture. But we've got to break free of that and be unified by Christ, by, solely by the reason that here we are, exiles together, looking forward to a homeland. And, and so let us be encouraged by that this morning. Uh, I pray that our hope will uh, grow, that our, our joy will be evident as the people of God and that those who are looking from the outside in will, will see and desire what we have in Christ. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for um, just the beautiful picture that we have been fully grafted in, into your people, that we, we have all of the surety and hope um, of being saved of being brought into our, our final home um, as we can see and look at Jesus, our living hope, and trust that you will complete um, our salvation, that you will bring it to pass. And I, I pray, Father, that that would um, genuinely affect how we live together um, as a people, uh, that we would be a witness of your, your glorious work in our lives. We love you. We praise you. Um, we thank you for this truth. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. Our Savior is a congregation located in Wheeling, Illinois. Our vision can be summed up in four words. Building community, bringing Christ. To learn more about this vision and our hope for our neighborhood, visit us online at osefc.org.